Welcome to the Absent Father Podcast, a weekly conversation where we discuss the impacts in all areas of our life of growing up with an absent father, how to overcome them, and the superpowers we create along the way. I'm your host, Rodney Miller, executive coach, MBA, and son of an absent father. You can learn more about me and get in touch by visiting www.rodneymuller.com. We got greatness by choice. We got gravity by chance. All right, welcome to another episode of the Epson Father Podcast. I am really excited for today's episode uh, where I will be interviewing someone who I really consider a true treasure. Uh, I was lucky enough to come across Maitre Meliana in San Francisco when I lived there, and I met her at this really crucial period. I had been uh, doing coaching and therapy for several years, and I had kind of come to the end of the rope. Like It, it wasn't as impactful as it, it had been. And I uh, had come in, as I talk about later on in the episode, a bit of a, a depression, this experience of feeling like all the strategies that I had for life working out weren't going to work out. And that's about the time that I started working with Maitre. And I really credit her approach and her modality to really uncovering a new depth of healing this absent father wound. And uh, as we talk about in this interview, uh, we talk about this concept of reparenting and really diving into that. And when you get uh, reparenting, uh, there's this opportunity to really feel like you never um, really lost your parent, that you you find your own inner parent that can be with you no matter what. Uh, also in this episode, of course, we, we talk about uh, Maitre, who is a trained psychotherapist, but also has this deep, deep access to healing. Uh, we kind of distinguish, you know, what does it look like to address the wound uh, and experience and pain of growing up with an absent or distant father, um, from a psychological perspective, she provides some tips on how to find a great therapist, not just, you know, any therapist. Um, and we also dive into some of the techniques that she specifically used with me that were really instrumental in my growth. It was uh, my work with Maitre and the work that she does. Uh, it helped me to go beyond just a conversation about it and into an experiential healing where I felt like uh, some of the traumatic experiences were really lifted from me. And that was a that was a huge gift. We then talk some more about um, what does it look like from a spiritual experience? How do we find that inner parent? And how do we tap into the innate ability to heal that we all have as human beings? Uh, we get a little deep. We talk about the soul. Um, and then finally, uh, near the end, we discuss this new modality, um, which which Maitre is a practitioner of. She's the founder of the Temple of Sound Healing. And we discuss this, uh, this concept of using sound healing. Uh, she uses singing bowls that have a certain frequency that really, uh, as she calls it, tunes the body to our natural expression. And uh, it might sound out there for some of you, but... Uh, one of the things I love most about Maitre, she's a she's a she's an author, uh, as I said, a trained psychotherapist. Uh, she's a, a pianist with albums on iTunes. She's an uh, intellectually rigorous and brilliant woman, but she has this deep access to spirit, and that for me really helped me access uh, 
new levels of, of spirituality and really opened my mind and my heart to uh, new paradigms, even though I'm kind of naturally cynical. So I hope you really uh, enjoy today's episode. I hope it's really helpful for you. I'll include links to uh, Maitre, to her website, and to the Temple of Sound Healing in case you'd like to find out more information about that. So without further ado, meet Maitre Meliana. It is an absolute pleasure to uh, introduce one of my favorite uh, I would call her a spiritual teacher and healer um, to the show today, to the Absent Father podcast. Um, not only is she a an expert in this area, um, uh, a trained psychotherapist, uh, which is, to put it lightly, who she really is in the world. Um, she has created uh, the Temple of Sound Healing, which I think we'll get into a bit later. And uh, she's also the author uh, of several books, most recently, uh, Brown Skinned Girl, um, which is a beautiful uh, and stirring memoir uh, that you must read. Um, so without further ado, I want to I introduce you to Maitre Meliana. Um, again, she is an extraordinary person. She has been really instrumental for me, particularly um, in my own healing from uh, growing up with an absent father and really integrating uh, all the parts of me. So, uh, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rodney. It's such a delight to be with you here today. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So, I was thinking, um, I kind of like to get started with, uh, kind of through your eyes, um, what you notice about. I mean, you have lots of experience working with you know people, and of course, doing your own work. I'm kind of curious what you notice as some of the um, challenges or impacts of people who grow up with an absent or distant father. Um, and of course, as we talked about, you know, in some ways, this is a universal conversation that is an opportunity for people for healing because traditionally um, men have been uh, less emotionally present, we might say, to put it lightly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's such an <clears throat> important and um, pervasive question, isn't it? Um, and to begin with, I, you know, there are fathers can be absent in so many ways. And I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast, where they're literally physically absent. And then there's emotional absence. Um, and, um, you know, in, in psychology, the mother plays the role of nurturer. And um, she's very important to the child, to the baby, in providing a safe space in the home, the nurturing, the emotional security and love, um, and really tending to the child feeling held and loved um, as unconditional as possible and a place, a safe refuge to go to when there's challenges or, or just anything, you know, a child crying or that she she's the arms that gathers the child to her to her chest and holds the child so she holds that energy and the father also does um and of course i want to say that um fathers hold both feminine and masculine energies um but in in the view of psychology the father is responsible for the child moving forward and towards 
the world. Almost as though the father is the bridge from the safe and sweet arms of the mother out into this sense of you can be in the world, you can um, achieve, and you can flourish, and you can engage and interact, um, you know, as uh, as a being. Um, and this typically that importance is really very much in the in the teen years, you know, certainly in the the below 10, 12, but especially as a young teen and definitely as a later teen and 20. So the father is a model of how to be in the world and in a very confident way because there is a forward movement that's, that's needed for uh, the child to take his or her place in the world as a thriving, successful, contributing um, being, a member of the human family. So the father quite literally plays that bridge. And um, what I've noticed with um, people who don't have a present father or a father who is confident in himself in that way in the world um, is that there's often, a, you know, several kinds of beliefs form. Like uh, there's, there can be insecurity in terms of how do I take my place in the world or I'm not, person may not feel confident or assured, or have this sense of within that I am valuable, and I have something, and my gifts are important, not only to me, but to the world. Um, so there is this sense of um, coming forward, coming out of the shell, coming out of the safe womb and, and cave of the home, into this larger sphere of um, community of a larger family of work and accomplishment. Um, and that is what I've noticed. It is a, literally a masculine thrust, so to speak, into the world. And that's, that's really what the father, for at least from the perspective of psychology, uh, holds that energy for. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that um, I, was, I was able to uncover, I think, for myself early on was... Um, you know, this key point that you pointed to, like, um, you know, as you launch into the world in a sense of confidence or a sense of security, I feel like when, um, at least in my experience and a lot of the people that I've connected with that, that had the experience of growing up with an absent or distant father is that, you know, it seems like the father um, traditionally provides you the sense of or the boundaries of what is enough and what is not enough. And in the absence of that uh, sort of lanes. I almost think about it like a bowling, like a, an alley and a bowling alley, like a lane and a bowling alley, um, where there's sort of, um, bumpers on each side that, that kind of keeps you going down the path. And, um, when you don't, when you, when that's just totally removed, um, and there's various ways that it can be, you know, the other side of that, which is like, you know, it's very enforced that you are not enough, or there's a, a higher level of pressure. But in my case, um, it was just completely gone. So I, I think for many years, it left me really aimless in terms of what is enough. So it would be, I think I would oscillate between like either being hopeless about being enough or deeply driven to trying to be and never having a sense of, you know, what was enough, um, which I think gave me a lot of gifts. <laughs> um, and certainly in our work together, I think that I was able to integrate some of those pieces in order to, um, you know, create a more healthy 
relationship to myself and to what is enough. But mm-hmm. um, is that your sense of it as well? Or what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great point. That's the, the opposite end of not being enough, that there's, it's, you're never enough. And this, then that leads to just being driven all the time. And, um, you know, whatever that leads to, I think it, it can, I think it's, it, refers to masculinity how in particular with men how did how do you find your place in the world mm. um what is what is enough and what is not what are the boundaries right um so over perfectionism or just this this feeling inside that you can never have something um it's an incomplete there's a lack there's a sense of lack right mm. um and how do you fill that lack? Because nobody has really shown or given you that felt experience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really, it's really interesting. You know, it, it kind of lends me to uh, getting curious about um, letting the listeners hear. And also I think diving in a little bit more to your own story um, on the way to sharing my story. Cause I really, I would like to get into also how um for those of you that don't know, I worked with Maitre when I was living in San Francisco um, for a few years, and it was very a very pivotal, very pivotal time in my life where I was really coming to grips with um, a major shift around my absent father wound. Um, and I I know that our work together was absolutely instrumental. And I um, I think it's what I love about you, and what I think is so extraordinary is that. Um, you combine, you know, you're a trained psychotherapist, but you have this incredible depth of understanding, I think, um, of the, um, not just the psychological side, but also the, the spiritual side, to put it lightly. And, um, you know, when I met you, I had been going to coaching and therapy for many years, um, and it was very much a an intellectual, a little bit intellectual, and more of a verbal conversation and certainly through our work, we were able to expand on that. So I'd love to get to that in a bit, but I'm curious about um, your your own experience, if you'd be willing to share kind of your story. And I, I think why I'm most interested is because my sense is that it honed some of your extraordinary superpowers, which is something we we discuss on the show. And I, I'm curious about you know your own experience and how you came to such um, deep empathy and, and carve your space here. Thank you. Thank you so much for your lovely words. And I just want to say it was an absolute pleasure and honor to work with you. Um, you just threw yourself into the work and you were so committed and open to trying different things. Um, and that's always a huge pleasure as you probably know, as a, as a coach that when, when the, the person is ready, then it's just a delight mm-hmm. um, because you're just drinking in the transformation and the healing. Yeah. So, um, well, I would say that's also a testament to you. You know, the, the funny thing I just have to say is when I, um, when I share about you, it's funny for me. Cause I think I'm, I know I'm a very deeply spiritual person and I'm pretty open, but inherently cynical. Um, and what I think is really extraordinary about you is you're, you're, you combine such a brilliance, um, and uh, uh, intellectual rigor um, with a connection to the divine. And I, whatever that combination is, it really allowed me to open up further. Mm. Um, and I think that's part of a huge gift for you. And I think it's probably really important for 
um, people who grew up with an absent or distant father because trust and surrender and, you know, opening up um, doesn't, I don't think comes naturally necessarily. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so my own experience with my father, um, and when I, I actually have two experiences. I was, um, my father, let's start with my father. <laughs> so um, he is a lovely, lovely man. And um, I know he loves me hugely. He's still alive. Um, and, um, you know, his, his father died when he was seven. And his mother died when he was born. So a childbirth. So in one way, he was kind of an orphan. He was brought up by family. Um, and I say that just to give the listener a little bit of perspective. Um, so he hadn't received much fathering himself, obviously. Um, and he was, he was, he was a wonderful father in terms of providing. Um, and, uh, we, I grew up in India where there are a lot of holidays and festivals. And so he always joined us in those times, whether it was to burn firecrackers or throw colored water on each other. It's like he, it's, those are the times I feel like he came alive and he played like a, like a teenager. Mm. Um, but the rest of the time he was working. So he worked long hours. He had his own company and he was always a very aloof figure to me. Mm. Um, occasionally I would take him, you know, problem in math or something because he is an engineer. Um, but beyond that, I remember always just being very, um, shall we say, back. I don't quite know how to say it, but I was not, I didn't climb on his knee. I didn't, you know, there wasn't the, a, fa a familiar relationship. It was all very formal. Mm -hmm. And I, his presence was there. He was very much there. Um, but I think emotionally, he was not available. Um, and. Um, over the years, we've had our conversations, and I've come to know how much he loves me. Um, but what I also know is that he wasn't able to, and he he didn't know how to love the being that is me. I think you know he loves me as his daughter, but the being that I am, uh, we are very different. Um, and so it has been hard for us to connect. But he's always been very open to listening even though he doesn't understand, especially in the later years. He's, um, you know, I think all parents make mistakes and I think he's been very open to listening. Um, so I think what I've learned from, from this is to almost separate after all this time and a lot of healing is to separate the love that he holds for me from his capacity mm -hmm. to love mm -hmm. me. And that has been helpful. Um, especially now in his later years, it gives us a space, you know, to connect. Um, just, I just want to say, I think that's just such an extraordinary point. And, you know, um, <clears throat> a couple of things that you said, you, you know, one is just, uh, and I think this is true. I, I'm nearly certain uh, that, that people who had an absent or distant father, that if you look back um, one generation or two, you know, there's a there's a trying circumstance that that really limited their capacity to love um and some of that is in such a way that they can't even love themselves enough to be present at all in a child's life um and in others it's uh 
you know, a, an inability to be vulnerable and to, to share affection, um, which I think unfortunately is so, um, so common amongst men. Uh, and I think we're growing in that area, but, but certainly, you know, in the way that the, what was expected in, in the creation of the patriarchal way that our society has been created, it was like tolerable for, um, men and, also, of course, they didn't get the support or or the allowance to be open and vulnerable, and and that affection was appropriate. Um, yeah. So I just I just think that's such an excellent point, and I I hope today what we can get to also is like there's that intellectual leap, which is like I understand that this this my parent, mother or father, that they they did the best that they could, but then there's this sort of. Um, internal ability to move through that in a really um holistic way where you can like move past the hurt feelings to true acceptance not just intellectual acceptance so yes and that that is supremely important that's the inner work isn't it Mm -hmm. Uh, because even with a present father there is no they're not perfect and certainly with an absent or a distant father that whole is is much bigger. It's 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 a huge, it's a giant hole. So how do we fill this? And um, so I mean, there are so many ways. And um, you know, with with psychotherapy, part part of the work is the reparenting of each client. That there is a safe space. There is a person that the the client can come to to have that experience of safety, security, being heard, being understood. And of course, it's not affectionate um, in that way, but there is affection and love in the space. It depends on the, it depends on how the therapist works always. But I know that for myself, I always felt and wanted to sort of infuse my space in my, in which I work with clients with love. Um, So there is, there is that. and also then I think the way it, it leaves a tremendous longing, a huge longing, a huge lack, a huge not knowing of, of many things, many aspects about the world. How do I do this? Whom do I go to this? And who are my guides? Who are my mentors? Who is going to take my hand and walk me through these experiences in life, right? So it's it's so painful, and then the grief, and then you see others around you having a very different can have other different experiences of fathers who are present or you know alive or um, available, and it sets up this tremendous sadness. I think that sort of pervades child, teenager, and and um, and so on. I'd um, love to. Um, key in on that reparenting piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would be cool, you know, cause I know what you're talking about, you know, thank God from the years of work and probably through your, your introduction to me. Um, but I think it might be interesting to use, use my story. Cause it's very poignant to me, this, this major turning point around when we started working together mm-hmm. um, and reparenting was the solution, but, but I, I'd love to if it's okay, I can share kind of where I was when we started working together and then maybe talk through kind of the uncovering of this concept of reparenting. Um, so, so when I met Maitre, um, 
it was uh, in the fall of 2014. Um, and I had just moved to San Francisco recently. I got there, I think, three or four months ago. And, you know, coming from St. Louis to San Francisco, it was a huge leap. Um, I quadrupled my living expenses and was, you know, trying to make it as a coach. And, um, you know, for those of, you know, we've obviously covered on the podcast, but, you know, safety uh, for me was pretty much wrapped in about how much money I had. So, you know, it was a massive leap for me. Um, and the other thing that was going on for me at the time was that I, um, you know, in my mind, and I think up until that point, although I didn't realize it, that I was always searching for the rescuer. Um, you know, whether that was in a place, I was like, if I go to San Francisco and I do this hard thing, then maybe it'll work out. Or if I'm smart enough and work hard enough, then maybe someday I'll get recognized and then my fears will go away. So in a way, this sort of pursuit of a father to see me and keep me safe. Um, and about when I met my Trey um, and we started working together, I don't know exactly what happened. I think there was some kind of success that I had in my business. You know, maybe I got a big client and, you know, it was great. But but somewhere along that way, I realized that um, no one was coming to rescue me. No matter what I did, like if I was on Oprah, I had a best-selling book, didn't matter. No one was going to rescue me. And that put me into what I now definitely relate to as a depression. Like um, I was... And the way I just define it really is that I was hopeless about my strategies for life working out. Like it became clear that they would never work out. And that was really depressing because I hadn't created like how to get there on the other side. Um, and I think that that's where, you know, when all that kind of fell away and I realized that all these strategies I had for life working out was never going to work, that there was no parent outside of me. I think that's where I was able to start hearing this concept of reparenting. So for, for people that maybe aren't familiar with it, like how would you describe reparenting? What, what yeah. is that exactly? That's a great question. So before I go there, I would like to introduce the, the concept of attachment um, in psychology. So the attachment is the bond or the relationship that um, every person has with their parent or caregiver. And there are different kinds of attachments. When it's a safe and secure base, it's called a secure attachment so that the child knows that they can go to someone, there's safety, there's consistency, there's stability. And um, the other two are anxious attachment where when, the, when the, the parent figure is not available or more absent, then there's an anxiety that gets created in the child. And that that plays out in different ways. It's never the same way for each person. For you, it was nobody's, who's going to rescue me? Will somebody come and rescue me? Right. And it's kind of this unspoken longing that lives in your body. You know, it's not a mental thing. It's just this ever-present sense of incompleteness or desire. How is that going to be filled? Um, avoidant attachment is when there's too much or an invasive parent where there's 
too much telling the child what to do, too much control, too much, you know, not letting the child grow. You can think of it as a somebody who's watering a plant every day instead of letting it <laughs> drink and then dry out a bit. So there's just too much of that. And then the child just pushes, pushes away um, from that. So these are the different kinds of attachments. So, and we all have some, some of these to different degrees. Um, and, but of course, with an absent or different distant father, the, the anxious or the avoidant will get activated. So what is reparenting? Reparenting is, is um, the idea and also the process by which even though there is an absent or distant father in this case, that every person can literally have the experience of being parented well, even though that hasn't happened in real life. And this is why I think healing is so powerful. Um, and the modality I used with you, Rodney, is a modality called EMDR, which in the, the longer form is eye movement and desensitization um, re repatterning. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so what this does, um, and I've taken it and sort of expanded it. Um, I've done trainings in it. And part of the, the way EMDR specifically can work is around this issue of attachment. Um, typically, it's used for trauma, but there's a particular way it can be used for attachment where, um, and also I brought in some hypnotherapy that I've done. So it is going back in time and to give each person an experience of being parented. You know, so this is very, very young. So this cannot be done by the mind. This is almost a state. This is a state of being that the child needs to feel. It's, it's like there has to be an experience of, ah, I am held or I am known or I am seen. And it is an experiential shift. It is not a mindset thing. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, to add to that from my own experience. And that was what was really powerful, you know, and I, I think that the good news is in the world, coaching and therapy is becoming a bit more mainstream. So a lot of people are, are working with therapists and coaches um, to varying degrees of quality. So if you're looking for a therapist, don't get discouraged by the first one that you meet. Find one that resonates with you. There's lots of degrees of quality. To include when Maitre says she does EMDR, I learned later that, of course, um, there are varying degrees of quality in EMDR as well, um, but it's a really great practice, really great technology. And to to your point, like I had worked with a really extraordinary therapist and and some of the best coaches in the world, um, and had been doing lots of this work. Um, but working with my tray was the first time I got to experience um, a modality that targeted something outside of my brain just just the intellectual piece and what was so neat is you know i had breakthroughs in coaching and therapy where i had realizations um and that changed my life and changed the way i did things but the gift that i had when there's particular an experience um when we were in a session doing mdr and uh we went back to like the first experience that i had of being rejected and 
the image that came was of me being born. And I was so connected to these, this experience. Um, you know, I was born in 1981 and, um, I guess not surprisingly, <laughs> uh, you know, it was still controversial to be born out of wedlock. And I remember feeling that way, feeling less than feeling like a bastard, which I was called, um, not by my parents, but like, um, by people and being related to that way. And from the moment of birth and the, the, the coolest thing is we went through this, um, there's a technique that maybe you could speak to, but, um, essentially it, it invited me to look at and get present to that. There were these, uh, there were other, um, uh, beings, I guess, I don't want to get too <laughs> sound too weird. And, you know, you can put the proper spin on it, but, but essentially that I was able to re-experience the birth. And what I realized was, yes, there was judgment in the space, but there was also a protecting and guiding love around me. And whether or not that was true, it allowed me to re-experience that traumatic memory in a way that it was lifted from me. It wasn't intellectual. It was, it was lifted. Um, the only thing I could compare it to is like a, if you had gone through a breakup and you were really sad, but suddenly it was lifted for you permanently, uh, from you permanently and completely. And that, that is what the magic, uh, was of that sort of, uh, nonverbal work for me. So I don't know if that's what I was supposed to get, but that's what happened. And it was huge. Yes. I, I remember that particular session, um, very well. Um, Yes. And, you know, that is the beauty of these deep healing modalities, you know, and I think anyone with this kind of a trauma, this is really a trauma, is that um, it is the brain, the premise of this, of these deep healing modalities is that the brain doesn't really know the difference between reality and imagination. And the second thing is that the body and psyche have a tremendous power to heal to self-heal. So it's almost like your body, your psyche is an instrument that when it goes out of tune, it just wants nothing better than to come back in tune. It wants to feel love. It doesn't want to stay in a way that it isn't. So there's an inner, your own self-healing capacity and your own self, who you are, also comes into place. Not just what's the modality being used or the therapist, but it's, it's, it's this beautiful alchemy of everybody involved. And um, with EMDR, there's a lot of visualization and imagination. And what we're doing with EMDR is we're literally rewiring the neurons. So we go back in time to this very, very beginning, early, powerfully influential experiences where the belief forms, the belief forms, I'm rejected, or I'm not loved, or I'm not good enough. You know, these are just these core beliefs. And through what is called a, a, a corrective experience or a desired experience, the person themselves will create from within the, the most perfect experience that they needed at that time. So your own psyche, your own um, self-healing capacity also comes into play as well as 
um, as you know, I work spiritually. So there, there, there is, um, shall we say, external support <laughs> that helps out, which is always great and wonderful. But even if that were not there with EMDR, it is a very powerful way. It's literally as though, as you said, um, we work to create an inner father. And that is something that's used also in hypnotherapy. And it's a very powerful um, concept where you can go within yourself and you can create for yourself a living energy that, and to have a relationship with a father, the, the perfect father that you needed. And we take that through time so that you have that experience. And something powerful happens there because then there's a sense of, I have this. Yeah, I think that that piece to me was the most, um, that revelation was the most important to my journey um, in the absent father arena. Um, And two things I would say about that, and this really speaks to the reparenting. One is I became aware that there were multiple parts of myself. I'm sure there's some uh, great psychological theory that points to it, but my experience in working with people, you know, as a coach and doing my own work, um, that there's sort of these parts of us that you might call the inner child. Um, and becoming aware of that, I was able to listen to them and provide what they needed. And when I became aware of them, I also became aware of that I don't feel like I needed to create the inner father. It was already there. And what was so revelatory and impactful and continues to be to this day is that um, not only did I realize that I had an inner father and that I had these inner children parts of me, but becoming aware of that allowed me to parent, to reparent those parts of me. And the best part is that when you become aware of this, you can never be abandoned again because yeah. you have access. Your, your inner father is always present. Yeah, that's so beautifully said. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it becomes this amazing world and inner family that you can always draw on. And um, it's very real. It feels very real and very alive. And you're empowered with this. You know, it's, um, I think after a few courses of this, it's like, you don't have to go somewhere else to receive that, but it gets generated within you, from you and within you to you. So, um, yeah, that's really beautifully said. Awesome. Well, I guess I'm kind of interested. I I hope we didn't lose half of you because we're going pretty deep today. Um, but, but this, this particular work and ideas is the, I think the way of the integrated whole self that can come through this experience. Um, I am curious, uh, you know, we talked a little about the psychological piece and, and then I'd I'd love to talk about the spiritual piece. Um, Mm -hmm. and for those that are maybe a little more like me, when we first started, like a little more cynical, Um, or maybe just a little bit more tentative, like they haven't delved into that kind of work before. I'm curious if you had any like um, kind of from a practical first steps place, like what, you know, if you've realized that you have this absent father wound or 
um, you're struggling with some of the things and traits that we've identified. Um, what are, do you have some like practical, like first steps that you would recommend that, that, that someone like that might be able to take? Um, from the psychological, sure. Just, you know, you find a therapist, a good therapist that works and to work with them. Um, the how do you second, find a good therapist? How do you find a good therapist? From well, a therapist you, you point of view, I'm really curious. Of, I think you call a bunch of people, one. Two, you get referrals from friends, from family, from people you trust, people you hear on podcasts, you know, who, and, and then just reach out and say, I, I want to do this kind of work. Do you know anybody who's done this? And there are so many, many, many good therapists. And often it's finding the right fit, the right modality. Like somebody might just work with the mind and that might be all that somebody needs, but somebody might want to work with the body and somebody might want to work with the spirit. So do not be afraid to interview a bunch of them. And um, as you're talking with them to see how you feel, is there a resonance? Do you feel like they got you? Do they feel like they didn't get you? Um, And do not be afraid to say, no, this is not the right match. I'm going to keep looking. I think so, that's such an important point because, you know, I, I, I get scared for people like, well, I've tried therapy, but, you know, it might not have been the right fit. And there's sort of like, a, I think there has been for many years, sort of a blanket idea that, you know, if you're a therapist, then you're, and it's, it's, it's so much more complex than that. I think, you know, I, I have a skepticism of, of physicians as well. So I like to know kind of their approach and all, but I think a lot of times, you know, two things, I think as particularly people who grow up with an absent father, you can either put an overemphasis of trust on people of authority, um, or you can kind of take one step and then be like, well, that didn't work. So kind of throw that out. And so I think that those points are really appropriate. And I highly recommend that to talk to multiple therapists. And I love that, that point of just how do you feel? Um, how does it feel when you're in that experience? So that's really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, so first to start, you know, work, going ahead and working with it, um, in therapy or any other healing modality that resonates for you, um, from the spiritual perspective, um, you know, there is, so I, and this is my model, this, I totally understand this not may not be everybody's model. Um, but I have grown up in India, so I have a particular, shall we say, slant in thinking about each person that um, we're a soul. Ultimately, we are spiritual beings and that we are here on this planet for a period of time. And the period of time that we're here on is not the end all and be all of our entire sense of time. That um, I believe in past lives, that you know we have lived many lifetimes before and that we are going to live lifetimes after. And that we're on a constant and continuous process of evolution when when the, whether we're here or whether we're um in a different realm and this how i think and what i believe is that every every being every soul comes in to have certain experiences to learn something to grow and to evolve and so in that context there is no bad experience that every experience, and particularly the, pa- the painful ones, and particularly the ones of family, are profound, profound, growing laboratories or crucibles 
for each soul to grow. Um, and so there's a reason. It's it's hard to, and I found this hard to even stomach in the beginning when I, you know, first like, why is there so much pain? Why is there so much suffering? Why why did this happen to me? Right? I mean, these are all absolutely essential questions. And I don't I think it's important not to jump to this in the beginning. It's important to do the psychological work. But as you go through it, I mean, I've had the question, why did this happen to me? You know, why? How can there be so much cruelty? How can there be so much pain? What is the purpose of this? It, it seems unnecessary. It seems, why would this such a world be created where there's so much pain? But what I've learned to understand is that the soul has, each soul has come in, has chosen, literally chosen that particular family, that particular set of circumstances, so that certain growth can happen. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think and I, I, I've learned enough to know that I'm probably never done um, healing. So I don't speak about it from this place. But, but I, through the work um, I've done, particularly in my relationship to my parents and to my father, um, I, have, I have a true, like a genuine, not an intellectual sense, but a true um, um, sense of completion and acceptance and like I wouldn't trade my experience because I'm I'm a hundred percent clear that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing I wouldn't be who I am I wouldn't have the gifts that I do without my exact experience so it's clear to me that that was the training for me to become who I was meant to be um, but obviously it wasn't always that way and I'm kind of curious for you like. I don't know that I've gotten to ask you um, about your own spiritual journey, but I imagine it's quite fascinating. And and like, how did you come to that place? And then I think perhaps from there, we could maybe talk about some of the cool um, modalities spiritually that you have honed. And I think would be really helpful um, yeah. for our listeners. So tell me about your spiritual journey. I, I'm fascinated. <laughs> um, so I grew up in India and I lived there till I was 16. And as a child, we lived outside a large city, and um, I grew up literally. I grew up very, very connected to nature, and I could hear the songs of trees and rocks. And to me, that was completely normal. I thought everybody did that. So, it, uh, to me, Mother Earth was my first sacred being, and I felt I, my experience was like I played on her lap. I mean, she was my my mother, my real mother. Um, and I mean, I've, I've, I think I've always been spiritual as we all are, but for me, next, it came through music, um, through music. I was able to literally travel, um, both in body and spirit to extraordinary realms of beauty. And the beauty was so amazing because I knew that have, by going there, that I myself was that beautiful. So it was spirituality in the non-traditional sense. I didn't go to temple or church, but it was through direct experience. Um, and I will say it's a little bit vulnerable to say this, but these were the same. I went to similar realms um, during sex. Mm. That there was levels of ecstasy, which opened me up. Um, and I didn't understand it at the time. Um, and then I've done, you know, I've studied um, 
Hindu texts. I've done, I've studied a Hindu tradition that's more through the mind. I've meditated for most of my life. Um, and around um, 40, I had an experience of a divine feminine being coming to me. So the goddess Kali, who's an Indian, Indian goddess, came to me when everything in my life was breaking up, a marriage and just a lot of change. Um, and I am very intuitive. So all that I see and experience is through my inner mind. And it's not imagination. It's a different kind of experience of presence and knowing that it's true, but it's, it's not something that I see. Um, you know, it's so funny. Literally I had the like spirit of Oprah right now, like speaking through me, which is like, what a, well, what a goddess being who came in, like, tell me about that. Yeah. Okay. So my marriage was in a horrible place and I was, I didn't know which way to do what to do. I had grown up with the idea that once I'm married, I, st- I stay married. And that was my Indian woman belief. And we were in a really rough place. It was just really hard. Um, and I walked into the office one day. We worked in the same office. Um, and, you know, I had my desk and then there was an empty desk. Nobody was working there, maybe like 12 feet away from me. I just went in and I sat down and, you know, it was the same old day. It was another day. It was, But at that desk or, or by that desk, I just could feel this presence. And this presence was large. I mean, as high as the room, wide, dark, strong, and fierce and feminine. And it was an instantaneous flash in my mind. That's Kali. Now, I had never prayed to Kali. I had never, my, my family, you know, she was a, one of the many, many goddesses in India. But I just knew she had come for me. And my mind, of course, was going, what? Because I couldn't understand. I hadn't prayed for any help. Um, or maybe I had, but I didn't know it. Um, and I, so she was there, and I kind of remember looking at that direction several times that day, and she was still there. I came back the next day, she was still there. And day after day, that presence was there. So then my mind kicked in, who is she? What is she? I went to the library, got a book, and I couldn't get past the first picture. I just put her picture up in front of my bed. It was so powerful and so fierce. And I, that came at a time when I was, most disempowered and didn't know my way out through the cultural beliefs I was holding. Um, And, you know, what I will say is I could literally feel her strength. It was like a transmission. And because she was Indian, because she was woman, it was almost as the message was, you don't have to stay this, that there's a divine sanction to do something different than what you've been told is possible. Um, and that continued over seven years. I mean, I would have, talk about re, being remothered. I would be, have these visions and sort of live experiences of being on her lap and have this great, big, dark body, you know, just very mothering. And, um, 
she holding me and me suckling at her breasts. I mean, this is all very, very intimate baby, a baby being me remothered. Mm. Um, and there was just this ferocity. There was love, but there was also fierceness that um, was there. Yeah. Mm. So that was one. There are many others, but I'll stop with that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, it's extraordinary, you know, and I, I, it's why I like, um, to me, it's an honor to introduce you to, to like the people that are listening to this because, um, you know, I, th I think that, I, I think that the people that grew up with an absent or distant father, like, I think they're special. I think that they have special intuition and sensitivities and, um, not all of us, I, I can speak for myself anyway, like, you know, I wasn't really, that wasn't nurtured. You know, the things that I saw at a young age were like, that's weird, but part of me knew what was true like knew the truth it's why like you know when i think about my journey in spirituality it was like you know this jesus thing is cool and the the I, I which i you know jesus is fine with me but you know being raised in a lutheran church it was like there's things that don't align like the teaching with the experience and um so one of the things that i think is so such a gift again is that um you create an access to this deeper picture that I think we know is there that is difficult to access or difficult to, um, you know, give evidence to, mm -hmm. but there's a deeply resonant experience. I think when we, we can open to that space and I, um, you know, I just, I just invite people to go toward those experiences. Um, and when you can find, work that can bring you to that space. Like I, I remember several times leaving your office in uh Hollow in San Francisco and just feeling like altered in my my mind experience as I walked out. Um so yeah. if I would have been listening, I mean the, the, I think the funniest part too is that if I would have been listening to you say that, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, no. But but I so appreciate and just want to highlight like that, that um, rich opening that you have is such a gift. Thank you. And, uh, you know, we all have access to this and that's what I realized. And, um, you know, we're all in a journey. And I think this is, since this is about fathering, you know, who, who is the divine father? Who is the divine mother? That there is so much available to us all in the whatever it doesn't, it, it's not about religion. This is about the energy. This is about the sacred um, presence that is available to us all. So, you know, my invitation to, to listeners is whom, whomever is sacred to you. It can be a tree. It can be an animal. Um, it can be uh, a sacred being that's part of your tradition or another tradition. Um, whatever you you sort of feel resonant with to um, oh, and this is primary to ask to ask for um, connection. Hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Well, um, so I think we were talking the spiritual journey. So there was this awakening, and um, I, I I don't know if there's anything to close that part, but I would love to get into like you know how do we we talked a little bit about the psychological side, but um, I'd love to hear 
you know, part of the, part of my intention with bringing on more experts like you who are, you know, experts in the field and really have helped real people, um, wholly overcome this experience, not just to temporarily feel better. Um, uh, I am curious about how, like how, how do we do it? Um, you know, we, the psychological side, I think is like kind of step one for our society, <laughs> you know, it's like step one and it's good. And it's, it's really great. And the funny thing to me is I think that the biggest gifts of, you know, therapy are less in what's said and more of having the experience of being accepted for what's said. Um, so I don't know if there's anything to finish with the spiritual piece of your own journey, but that I'm assuming that led into some of this, some of what you're working on now. And I'd love to hear about that too. Yeah, it did. There's, there's a little piece left with the spiritual. So I did, um, in 2009, I got sick from Lyme disease and I went to Brazil to get some spiritual healing. And at the center there, my intuition opened up even more and I was healed in literally, you know, in two days, my worst symptoms went away in a year. Lyme disease is gone for my body. So I was open to a whole new paradigm of spiritual healing. And I didn't even know what that was, but that was more spirits coming through to help us heal. And this is, this is actually common in Brazil. This is common in shamanic traditions that, you know, we, we, most of us live in this band of our mind and what we can see and with our five senses. But when we open up to what we cannot see, um, that there is so much more that I don't think we've, we've really begun to tap. But there are certain cultures like Brazil and shamanic um, traditions that have tapped into this, have been doing this for centuries. This has been the primary mode for healing with light, with spirit, with sound, and color. And um, so that took me on a journey into learning how to work with past lives and most recently with sound healing. So sound healing I sounds I, I just want to highlight that piece before we get into sound healing it's like you know two things one is this the sense of you know um often we are limited in our perception by the five senses um and you know being able to move beyond that which we all do we all get feelings we all get senses and i think that there's an opportunity to hone those pieces which i think is you know part of that is mostly opening our own minds to that possibility, um, but also having those experiences. So we learn to nurture that. So I, I just love that piece. And I, I think it's such an important point. I, I think that um, there are many uh, benefits to a scientific perspective, but I think there's also a lot of um, loss because a lot of these things that we're talking about, it's like, there's so many um, variables and nuances that it's very difficult to um, put into some scientific theory, <laughs> if this, then that, and to put a, a particular kind of research on in a, in a near-term focus. Um, so I, I do think that when we think about when we are, if hopefully we're sitting here a hundred years from now, uh, or maybe in a different perspective, but we'll look back a hundred years to today and we'll say, 
how limited we were in our understanding of the human being, the psyche, the dynamics of healing and uh, medicine. Um, so I, I just, I love that point. I love that, that sort of stand and insight. And the, the, my favorite part is when you talk about whether it's Brazil or, or in India or other parts of the world, Mexico, I mean, really all across the world, except for uh, Western uh, ideals that, that this is not like a new thing. This is, this has been honed and passed down for thousands of years. Um, yeah. And interestingly enough, it was even there in the West. The scientists, earlier, early scientists were, were mind, body, spirit scientists, and it was called alchemy. Hmm. It was the material sciences that you could see and experience with your five senses, as well as the, what they called the more the spiritual sciences. But at some point in Western history, there was a division, just like church and state. There was also a division in science, where um, the material scientists were sort of handed people's health, physical health. And the church took on the spiritual health. So there was a very clear cut or divide. And that is really the premise for how it's living today. You know, there's, there, it's a partition. And now I think with, with the advance of holistic medicine, alternative medicine, people are so interested in other modes that it's, it's starting to come together again. Awesome. So uh, we could probably talk about that for several <laughs> episodes because I'm like, yeah. And, you know, all, all you have to do is look at, you know, all of the unexplained, quote unquote, uh, issues that people deal with that, that, that a typical Western medical practitioner, you know, they could run a million tests, but they can't they don't know where it comes from, like seizures or autoimmune or um, various pains. And so much of it is quite obvious to a practitioner that that works in that space that, oh, there's an emotional element here. There's a there's a there's an embedded response that your body has and a way that it processes certain things that result in tension in the body or an immune response. And so um that's just one example that I think is so obvious um, and it illuminates how far there is to go. And um, the cool thing is that there are people like you that I think um, obviously you're not claiming to heal all, all these things, but that you have tapped into um, modalities and ways to work with people that can really support them. So tell me, I'm curious about that from the spiritual side or, or, yeah. how you would respond to that um well i think i mean to me i the way i work is everyone is primarily a soul and i'm always tuned into what is important what are they here for what is what is wanting to be expressed that hasn't been expressed and what is their purpose that is that may not be fully on board and I think one thing that I just do as a practitioner is I'm tuning in soul to soul to the person. That's just something I do. And I know everybody doesn't do that. And when you say soul, like, mm -hmm. how would you, I think I know what you mean, but mm -hmm. how would you distinguish that from like a person? Like, 
the person being, and the, the soul. The being of the person. So I'm not, it's not about their mind. I'm picking up things from the body language, but it's even more than the body language. I th- I'm tuning into their heart. Mm. And probably it's, it's really hard to explain. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But I'm tuning into, um, you know, what their heart is saying. And I'm also tuning into their energy field and what, whatever they're saying, I feel like they're working through something that's not only psychological, but spiritual. And I found that when I work when on the level of the spiritual, and that doesn't happen through words. I don't quite know how to say how I do that. But when I give importance and honor their soul, I establish a connection, communication. And that there's no words. We don't even talk about spirituality. There's none of that. But there's a trust that gets established. There's a connection that gets established. Um, and, you know, then there's a partnership in the room beyond their mind. You know, a lot of us, we, we're in the mind. We're, we're trying to work it out in the mind. But healing happens beyond the mind because the soul wants everything that the person wants for them and some, for themselves and more. And so how to activate that and to get that language going makes it a lot quicker. So that's in the spiritual sense. How do we get there? The way to, to access these, these spaces is by going beyond the mind. The mind is a powerful instrument that we all have. But when we're using our mind, when we're using our rational mind, we are only literally using half our intelligence. We're working with the left brain, with concepts, with reason, with logic, with understanding. But the healing, the self-healing portion of every human being lives in the right brain. So there's a tremendous science to this. The right brain, we have different brain states, just as we have, you know, we awake, we dream, we daydream, we go to sleep. And as the brain shifts into different states, it is open and available to different forms of intelligence. So in our waking brain, we're alert, we're focused, we're productive, or we might just be looking out the window and letting the thoughts come to us, right? A softer focus, and that's when we get some inspirations or ideas. When we dream we're and, and sleep, we're in more the right brain side, and that is very open to who we are as a soul, to um, the higher consciousness, whether you call it the divine, those other realms, imagination, intuition, things that we, the unexplainable even, right? I mean, we've all dreamed and we've all woken up with dreams with, what was that? That didn't make any sense. But so healing, this deeper healing, the way I've learned to work with it is to lead people into these deeper states, into these right brain states, that once they once they enter those states, which can happen very easily with sound, as you know, that they themselves access their amazing divinity, their amazing, what you call superpowers, their, their own personal magic. And so at that point, it's almost like I'm just driving somebody in a cab from point A to point B. And once they're, yes, I'm guiding them through it. But once they're there, 
And this is the thing that I think we all have tremendous healing powers and capacity to access great, great um, states of who we are. And once we visit those places, once we connect with the love or the peace or the knowing or the guidance that can come through, then we, it's like then everything kind of makes sense. It, we gain access to a larger, profound perspective, and we know our own power and so much more. It sounds like, you know, as you, as you describe it, it's like, um, you know, as you, and I'd love to dive into sound healing a little bit. I know we don't have a whole lot of time left, but, um, you know, diving into that, it sounds like it, you know, as we engage the, the right brain, um, it's, it's almost as if like that part of us doesn't have the, the things that come with our personality or the judgments about ourselves. It's just pure being. And and what, as I hear you describe it, and it certainly was my experience in um, in working with you several times, where I got a new experience of who I really was, and it was deeply resonant. So it wasn't; it was sort of indisputable. Um, and and when you can get that experience, it's like you you can't unforget it. So you get to go you go back into your normal life, and you're there, but but you have a new experience of who you are that you are. Um, beyond the self-doubt or self-critic or sense of not enough. Um, Yeah. Right. And the whole reparenting is part of that too. It's like you get access to you and those holes that we talked about get filled up. Um, And it's all, it's all, you know, it can sound complete. And to me, it was completely magical and even just woo woo. It didn't make sense because my mind was trying to understand it, but, like with you and so many others, when I saw the shifts that were happening and quickly and permanently, it, it, I have no doubt that um, this is sort of a missing chunk um, of healing that we can all access. Yeah. So tell me about, uh, I was, I got to have the experience last Friday uh, of getting, you know, really having the experience of um, working with sound healing. I, I, which was really profound. I was really surprised. I shouldn't have been surprised because you've been sharing how impactful and how extraordinary it is and um, healing in really special ways. Um, but it was immediately resonant with me and had me experiencing emotion and kind of things moving forward. And that was just a small snippet, like literally, I think 20 minutes um, of various things. But tell me, like, what is sound healing? Um, how does it work? How, how do you think it would be helpful for people that might be listening to our podcast? Yeah. So sound healing is a profound um, healing that happens um, on every level. And what I mean by that is so physically, emotionally, energetically, mentally, um, healing sounds. So we don't hear just with our ears. We hear with our entire body. and sound has the ability to travel into us like waves, you know? So we might think air just stops here or light, you know, light actually goes within, but just like that sound goes through us. And um, there's a lot about the physics of sound, but the, the simple way I can say it is if we are a musical instrument, living on earth, life on earth has us go out of tune whether it's an absent father, whether it's a 
car accident, whether whatever it is, there's so many stresses of life experiences that the, the toxins that we're exposed to, you know, the bumps and the bruises that we all get, that um, that we go out of tune. And but within us is it's almost like we come into this world with a perfect song, a perfect on pitch song that our bodies know, our minds know, our hearts know, and our soul souls know. And we forget, we get bumped, we get bruised, we get banged about, and we go out of tune. And healing sounds are sounds that the body understands, that the mind understands, that there's no need for words. But because we're dealing with vibration and everything is vibration and energy, it's almost as the body remembers, we remember peace, we remember health, we remember love, and it, it retunes us. Healing both you know, allows us to release what we're ready to release with difficult emotions and past experiences, and also to awake to the magic of who we are. You know, you know, it's it's interesting too because you know I think for some people, you know, when you first hear the concept, it may sound like a a leap, but it's funny because in working with a lot of clients, for me, uh, you know, oftentimes when we look at you know what are what are like you know five to ten practices that you might take on to practice self love or to get you re inspired or recreating, and I'd say that half of my clients list live music. Um, as one of those things. And, you know, when I think about this, I think about, you know, I, I certainly when I when I see live music, almost in any form, um, it is deeply inspiring. It, it, it's experientially uh, inspiring and recreative for myself. Um, and I almost think about like, um, and I'd love for you to tell us like exactly what does a sound healing session look like? Like, what is the what are the components? But I almost think about like sort of live music being on one end of the spectrum where it's like, you know, kind of does some of that, but in kind of an unintentional way or, you know, in the intentional way, it maybe speaks more simply to the emotional piece, like one part um, to what I think you're practicing, which is very intentional um, frequencies and sounds um, that resonate. It seems on, on these multiple levels of the, of the spirit and the body and the mind. Right. Yeah. So, you know, sound healing has been used by cultures across the world, all over the world as a healing modality. Um, the American Indians, the, you know, shamans from all cultures in India, South America, Russia, you know, it's just Europe. It's, it's just even, been, even every Christian church, right? Like, Even you know what I think Christian is so church. funny? Like, right. uh, I never realized this before until, you know, as I had done, had done more work, but like these really beautiful traditions, um, yeah. every single uh, time you go to most um, uh, Christian gathering, like a, certainly a Catholic church, there's so much ritual that's really about, we sing together in a certain tone, which I believe is intended to raise the vibration so that you can have a more spiritual experience. There's um, both sight and sound and uh, smell, usually, typically an incense, right? So it's funny because they don't talk about it, but that's what is happening is really preparing that opening, it sounds like. Right. And people know, absolutely, that's so great. And even, 
even in the army, there's rhythm. And singing together. And singing together. Yeah. And what do you think, What you were there, what, what, what did it do for your group or squad? Or <laughs> uh, so, so I hadn't thought about it, but, you know, I remember very poignantly being in basic training. And, uh, you know, when you're in basic training, you're a group of uh, 240 uh, marching and uh, the drill sergeants would be singing the cadence. And I was a drill sergeant, of course, and I was also singing, but um, took me some time to learn to sing and get in rhythm, but it was a gift. But, um, you know, I'll never forget uh, how comforting the experience was. Um, you know, we'd sing songs like, uh, you know, um, so many weeks until we'll be home. And there was absolutely a comfort and an inspiration and a camaraderie that got created through that singing together, which is funny. Nobody in the army probably calls it singing together, but that's exactly what we were doing. Yeah. So see, all of you united, all of you came together, your team got built through the rhythm and through those songs, Mm -hmm. right? So this is the power of music and sound. I mean, talk about team building. It's one of the most perfect team building exercises. And um, so I forgot where I was. Um, how does right. the how does the sound healing work, and what is it? Right. So it 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 moves. It moves. It works on every level: mind, body, and spirit. The body knows sound. Our bodies are meant to be. Our bodies actually sing, and if you go deep into the physics of it, cells have a sound. Everything that's living has a particular sound. And illness or disease is when it gets out of tune. So it's literally a question of how do you retune the body? How do you retune the mind and the heart? How do you retune um, what is out of sync back into into proper resonance? Um, And there's there's a huge amount of physics and biology to this. So this is not woo. Is this tremendous science to this? And with this, we're going into quantum physics, where uh, you know when you, for I mean, a simple way to say it is when you see somebody tapping their foot, you can start nodding your head, right? So that's probably what a lot of what you were doing in the army. There's when everybody's doing it, everybody falls in line. It's a great way to build a team. It's a great way to build harmony, um, and. It's so powerful on so many levels. Um, but what the work I do, it's really to open people and connect people to their want to heal the body, of course, but also to connect us to resources that we don't even know we have, like our purpose or deep states of peace or joy, or to fill those holes even where there's an absent father. Yeah, I love that. Even, you know, we had that experience uh, last week, um, you know, as and and the way it works for for those of you listening that maybe aren't familiar is like there's uh, Maitre has uh, singing bowls. So it's like a like a a glass looking crystal built bowl. You'd probably describe it. It's very beautiful and very. I don't know. It has great vibes and they're beautiful. And she plays it. And just in the very first note, I would have this, um, an emotional response. And, 
um, you know, I think sometimes for me, I have a hard time, like when I'm having feelings or there's something stuck, it's like, I can't get past my head. And as the bowl was played, I was able to, you know, one of them just made me, um, just smile and I was able to access joy, which I think is always a hard thing for me to tap into is just tapping into joy and remembering that it's there and that I can, I can play and I can smile. Um, and another one just like really struck my heart and really gave me access there and brought tears to my eyes. I'm telling you, I did not expect that. It was like literally within a few minutes that I was tapped into different parts of myself. Um, and I feel like that, that in and of itself is a gift because it, it grounds you back. It, it like can help you move through um, stuck emotion that, that gets in the way of just being who I am and, you know, who I am fully. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Exactly. It takes you beyond your mind and it takes you deeper into yourself and to access deeper parts of yourself where you can feel this, whether it's tears or whether it's a connection with yourself. And both on the conscious level as well as deep, higher levels of consciousness. Um, it also has the ability to remove pain and past experiences and trauma and clear trauma. So it's profound, profound in those ways, and as well as, as, well as connect you to your higher self or spirit. So and go ahead. I was just going to, so like, I, I know that this is um, something you've come to and, you know, I of course really respect your your wisdom and insight, and I'm just curious, like how surprised you were, you know, given your experience, you know, trained psychotherapist and trained in all these modalities, and then um, kind of working more with sound. Uh, how surprised were you at its effectiveness, uh, both speed and impact? Yeah. Um, so I think in one level, I was surprised and in another level, I was not surprised because I am a pianist mm -hmm. and I, you know, that was what I did. I have a master's in, in music. So I've, I've no firsthand the, the heights that music could take people to, or it, it switches you into, it switches your brain states to put it very, on a scientific level, you switch into a different altered brain state where so much can happen. You can access imagination and intuition. Um, and with with this, it was, I think, um, it was, I was very tentative at first. I didn't believe it. I didn't understand it. But then when I played, I couldn't, just like you, I couldn't but not feel it. I knew something was happening. I didn't have words to describe it. But to feel the effects of it after a very short time, and that's the power of sound. It, it didn't have to take hours or even many, many, many sessions. It was very quickly, I would feel it. And I would be awakened, both releasing, you know, things I, I could feel releasing, but also awakened to a larger dimension of who I was and who we all are. So it was like being transported into a higher level of consciousness and um, which we all are. We are so much more. It's like we live in the living and dining room and don't know that there's a whole house that we are. Yeah, I love that. And and one of my favorite things about it is that um, it's something that you can, you know, uh, you'll have to connect. And of course, I'll leave the information, uh, uh, how to get in touch with Maitre if you're interested in learning more about the Temple of Sound Healing uh, that she founded. Um, but one of my favorite things about it is that it's also something you can access on your own. Um, 
so that, you know, you don't have to wait to connect with yourself until you go to the therapist. You can learn to play the singing bowl on your own and, and create a, a ritual of, of connecting and healing for yourself, um, which I think is super important, especially when it's outside of, uh, you know, spoken word, reading, uh, you know, those sort of things, which worked for a while, but now I really need that opportunity to um, be immersed in something experiential that reminds me who I am. Yeah, that's such a great point. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And this puts, gives us our own power back, right? We don't have to go outside for something. It's, it's, we can have it immediately, anytime. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know uh, we're getting close to time here and I, I'm curious if there are any parting words of wisdom uh, that you have. I'm putting you on the spot a bit, but, you know, I, I think about, um, you know, all the people that, you know, maybe are becoming aware of uh, the experience of growing up with an absent or distant father. Um, and of course, if you're listening to this and you just have anything else, um, uh, to work with you and to, to learn some of the wisdom and modalities that you have provided, it, it, it's, it's given so much in terms of self-compassion and self-forgiveness and wholeness and integration. So, um, with that, I mean, you know, if you have any other, uh, words of wisdom that might change someone's life out there, I'm curious how you would, what that, what, yeah. what that might be. Yeah. Um, I do, I would love to say that, you know, we all come in with all kinds of all of us on just by virtue of being on planet earth, there's some trauma or another that we experience. And, you know, here we're talking about an absent father or a distant father and everything. And this has been my own experience with my own journey of healing that we can heal and um, we can be on the other side of it. And that there are resources within us that can be awakened where we, we actually, and it's not, doesn't have to be a conscious thing, that where we find an inner father, shall we say, or an inner resource um, that these energies and spaces are available to us, within us, um, and that we can have at some point an experience of fathering ourselves or, you know, finding ways to to heal that so i really want to put out the, the 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 certainty that healing is possible and that even though it's not there in real life it doesn't mean we will always have to live without it we may we may not have the, the real life experience but it doesn't mean we have to live without wound and the wound can most definitely heal and flourish that is uh Excellent, I think, to leave leave people with. And I, I can say that that's my firsthand experience of, uh, you know, if I were to say the one major thing that made a difference in my experience of growing up with an absent father, it was exactly what you said, which is uncovering that there's this internal father that um, if I allow that part of me to take care of me, I'll never be abandoned. And there's a real wholeness and groundedness in that experience. and. Uh, I certainly thank you for the ways that you supported me in that. And as you continue to do with all the people that you serve and teach and guide, um, it's a huge mm-hmm. gift. Great. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. An absolute pleasure, Rodney. Thank you.
All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed connecting with Mitray. Uh, like I said, you'll be able to connect with Maitrey in the show notes. There's a link to her website as well as to the Temple of Sound Healing. Again, you've been listening to the Absent Father podcast, a conversation where we discuss the impacts of growing up with an absent father, how to overcome them, and the superpowers we create along the way. I thank you for listening. Please rate and re- review the podcast if you have a moment. It's how uh, it gets shared with other people. Until next time. Until next time.